0: us at either location. And um, that'll be a one-off message. And then the next week, it is hard to believe it's going to be December, uh, we are beginning a brand new series called A Simple Christmas. And so we say this a lot. A new series is the perfect time to invite somebody. And during this time of year, there is no better time. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're a part of our uh, campuses, to 30 seconds of courage, invite somebody with an invite card, share what you're gonna see on social media over the next couple weeks. And the reason that we wanna encourage you with that is not so much for you to invite, though that's a big deal. And we've seen today already people make decisions to follow Jesus but even more because it forces us to invest. And so I just want to encourage you in an unbelievably busy time of year, that person that you haven't had over the house yet, um, that individual you need to grab a beer with or a coffee um, or a a milk if you grew up um, in Southern Baptist, or... um, Sorry, some of you, I just lost you. I don't mean, know. That wasn't even in my notes. And then you're not going to listen to anything else I say. Um, you, somebody on the ball field, a neighbor, but just somebody you need to connect with and invest in that God has placed around you. And that's really the heart of what we're about. That's the heart of our church. We're for the city. And so I just want to encourage you to be intentional about that. And also, not only invest, but maybe invite that person during this time of year. And I believe during this next series of Simple Christmas, God's going to work in an incredible, incredible way leading up to our Christmas Eve services. We're going to have six um, on December the 24th. So with all that said, um, for those of you who I lost already, come back. All right? You can drink anything you want. All right? Be fearless. We are in part three and we've been talking about fear. Now, here's the reality being fearless is impossible, fearing less is possible. And we talked about week one that most of our fear obviously is extending to something in the future. We fear some kind of looming potential loss. And then behind that, not only do we need to identify what we fear, but what's really behind that last week. That generally there's two or three levels below what you say you fear that is really the epicenter of what you actually fear. But what we want to look at today is not just fear about the future and not what's behind that fear, but how that fear connects to your past. Because if you're ever going to, most of you, overcome the control that fear has over your life, there's going to be something that you have to confront about your past. Now, here's what I know for most of us is that we all carry stuff from our past, right? For some of us, it's pain. For some of us, it's some memories that we don't want to revisit. For some of us, it's an emotion. For some of us, it's a a feeling of, I don't want to experience that again. But there's all things that we carry from our past. And here's the reality and why it connects to what we're talking about today, is that our experiences from the past determine our fears for the future, Like uh, for a lot of us, what we fear in the present and maybe what we've been fearing for a while stems from something that we experienced in the past. And so for us to be able to ever move forward, for a lot of us, we have to go back. Now think about this. There's a lot of things that... Um, that you do based on what you've experienced from the past. If you have kids, it's even how we teach our kids, right? Like there's certain things that you instruct your kids on based on what you have experienced. Like one of those things just at a base level is don't touch the stove. Like, probably at some point along the way, you've burnt yourself, so I'm going to teach my kid that. If you're my dad, um, don't brush your teeth with Icy Hot, because that um, hurts like hell. And I did that one time in the past, and so I want to save you from that. Um, And I shouldn't have dropped that. That is not even, uh, so he'll be here at the 12, so it's fine. Um, But, like, whatever from your pastor, where I experienced it, so I want to keep you from it, like other things at a bigger level. For some of you, you grew up in an environment maybe with your mom, and there was kind of this underlying, hey, don't ever trust men. Don't ever trust men. Why? Because some kind of experience happened in a previous season that affected how they guided and directed you. For others, you were kind of taught to play it safe. Don't ever take a risk. Don't step out because of maybe something your parent or guardian had experienced before, and now it's affecting how they lead you and how they direct you. But that's just what our experiences from the past do. They determine our behaviors. They determine our reactions. And in many cases, they determine our fears. Like, I'll tell you a stupid example, but it illustrates this point, and this doesn't even med- register on the radar, so I get that, but when I was young, whatever the age is before you lose your um, temporary teeth and get your permanent teeth in, I had massive off the charts, and it was good to hear other people's stories after the first service um, just to empathize with my pain, but I had massive buck teeth early on, and you don't need to laugh because it's still, there's, there's still pain there, Okay. But like massive buck teeth, and I'll never forget, I had an older brother, and we would get into it a lot, and I'll never forget this experience where we're fighting um, in front of the house where we had like a a porch there, it was all concrete, and somehow, I don't know if this is what happened, but it's what I remember, he pushes me, and I can't get my balance, and, and I fall, and the only thing that really broke my fall from the concrete porch was my teeth. Like that was the thing that it could have been worse, but my teeth took the brunt of the fall, and after it, I had two just dead. You know how your teeth when they, they they're just brown, and my dad was kind of like. Which is typically him, like they'll they'll fall out eventually. So, um, for so for what felt like I don't know if it was several years. Not only did I have buck teeth, I was already a little bit self conscious about that. Been made fun of it, I think, a time or two. But now they were brown, and so like it was a really rough road for a little while. You know what I'm talking about. And what I found out that I started to do is just compensate. So I wouldn't smile at all, and I just would try to, as best I could, but it was almost impossible to just not let anybody see. And then what happened is eventually it fell out, you know, you get your teeth. And as I got older, there was a moment where I realized that I still wouldn't smile. Like, I was just constantly self-conscious, and I realized where that was coming from was my earlier experience of the you know brown buck teeth that I tried to hide from everybody because I was you know teased and didn't want to feel that again and that had followed me for quite some time like into my teen years and affected my behavior so my point in all of that is you have a story and it may be a bigger deal than that but of something that happened in your past and it's affecting how you respond how you react how you behave and even what you fear in your present now here's where this becomes a big deal is When it starts to lead you to a place where it affects relationships or it affects maybe where God wants to lead you, it affects what you are being called to. And because you've never identified what's going on in your past that is relating to how you operate in the present, you are being hemmed in and controlled by your fear. Now, here's how I would really identify it, is it's as if for a lot of us, we have built a wall of fear, and because of something in the past, we hide behind it. For some of you, it's control. Because something happened in your past where you were out of control, now there is this this thing inside of you where you are constantly trying to make sure, I'm not going to feel that again. I'm going to make sure that that doesn't happen to me again. I'm going to make sure that I don't have to experience those emotions again. And so you are all out trying to gain control of everything in your life, even in stupid ways, because of something that maybe happened in the past. You you are so image conscious or, or so uh, just tied to creating this crate and barrel utopia because you just don't want to experience some of the things that happened to you or your family or some of what you felt. And so... Your default mechanism, your wall that you're hiding behind is control. For others of you, it's something like withdrawal. Maybe you were betrayed in the past. Maybe you opened yourself up in a relationship and you got hurt in an extreme way. For uh, for others of you, you maybe maybe you took a risk to do something, and that even relates to God because you felt like God didn't come through, God didn't see you through. And so now what you've done is you just withdraw. You you hide behind this wall that is predicated on something that you experienced in the past and it's produced fear in the present. And so you keep everybody at arm's length. For others of us, it's anger. Something happened, and if you feel anything close to that emotion, you just go off the rails. And you've carried this anger so long that for some of us, we don't actually know where the anger originated. But there's just this thing, this wall we're hiding behind, again, of I don't want to ever feel that. I don't want to ever experience that again. For others, this doesn't seem like a big deal, but humor and sarcasm is your thing, so because of some stuff that happened, you're always, again, you're just always keeping people at arm's length. You're always stiff-arming people, and this is one of the ways that you do it. And then for others of us, it's critical because of something that happened, something you experienced, something maybe done to you. Nobody or nothing ever seems to kind of meet your standard. And it's another way that you have built a wall in your fear and you hide behind that wall. I'm not going to experience that ever Again, and then at an extreme level, for some, it's substance abuse. That now I've, I've self-medicated and I've run after some behaviors and some things to just not dull the pain or numb the pain or get me to a place where I don't have to think about it anymore. And it's kind of the thing that I hide behind, I withdraw behind it. But all of us, if we haven't dealt with certain things in our past, not only do we have a fear about the future and not only are there some things behind that fear, but that fear is also generally relating to something in our past. And if we don't go back and if we don't confront that and if we don't kind of eyeball to eyeball with what's really going on, it will continue to follow us into the future. And here's what I know about things from our past for most of us, we don't want to confront it. Like we don't want, again, we don't want to feel that emotion again. We don't want to experience that again. We, We don't want to drudge up all of that stuff that we've been trying to run from for a long time. But if you are ever going to move forward for a lot of us, you need to identify the fear, you need to understand what's behind the fear. But then you need to go back to really determine the original source of that fear. And here's the hope that hopefully we've been able to dispense throughout this series is that there is the possibility for you not to be controlled by fear. Fear is inevitable. There's amygdala in our brain that produces fear. It can be a healthy thing. But you do not have to be controlled by it. And as we've said, you can't really follow Jesus if you're a Jesus follower and be controlled by fear. Eventually, those two things are gonna bump up against each other. Because you can't move in the direction to love people and withdraw. You you can't move in the direction to love and minister to people even though you maybe are not reciprocated and be angry. You can't move out to step out in faith with maybe what God's calling you to in your life, as long as you're hiding behind this wall of withdrawal and I'm never going to take a risk. And all of it is stemming from something that's happened in your past. And so Jesus steps into all of that to say, fear not, it is possible. He steps into all that to go, you have not been given a spirit of fear, 1 Tim, 2 Timothy 1.7, but of power and of love. He steps into Joshua's story and says, Joshua, you have a ton to be afraid of, so I'm not taking that away from you. Be strong and courageous. There is a way to live unshackled and not imprisoned to fear. But for a lot of us, it means we're going to have to do the very difficult thing of going back and facing some things that that we don't really want to face. And the reality, again, is this, is that pain... And uncertainty, they're unavoidable. This is not pain-free, problem-free. That was never promised us. Pain and uncertainty is unavoidable. But what we see in the scripture is that fear is optional. One of the most powerful stories of this dynamic being illustrated comes from the Old Testament. And I wanted to end with a narrative today because everybody kind of learns differently. And so I want to camp out on something that may connect better with some of you. But in this Old Testament narrative, there's a guy that surfaces. And most of our views of this guy don't match history. He's kind of been romanticized, and some of that's for good reason. Maybe you've seen the movie, and and we just have this airbrushed view of him. But in reality, he's one of the most fearful men in all of the scripture, and he's a guy by the name of Moses. And Moses, if you know anything about his story, Moses is born into the context of extraordinary uncertainty and fear. In fact, he is an Israelite or a Hebrew under Egyptian oppression, under Egyptian rule. They were slaves under the Egyptians. And so every day, families like Moses' family would get up wondering, what's going to happen? Is our family going to survive? Am I going to be able to keep my kids? Is this, I mean, do we have a future? Unbelievable oppression. And they dealt with those real fears every single day. But then on the other side, what's interesting is Moses is born. It's in the context of incredible Egyptian fearfulness. There's Pharaoh who is the head of Egypt. And he is so afraid that the Israelites who keep reproducing themselves are going to grow and eventually outnumber the Egyptians and ultimately revolt. That he creates this crazy plan where he instructs all of the Hebrew midwives to abort all of the male Israelite babies and thinking that's going to solve the problem because he doesn't want to see Israel grow to the place where they can overthrow them. So Moses is born into the context of incredible fear among Israelite people and incredible fear among Egyptian people. And then in the middle of that are these unlikely heroes which are Hebrew midwives. Who decide that they are going to fear God Rather than fear Pharaoh Even though there was a lot of reason to fear Pharaoh And fear God in the sense of We believe that God is bigger That he is the ruler of all creation And that what he wants And obeying him is better than obeying any Pharaoh Or any regime Or any government And so they decided against all odds That they were going to do everything they could To save and protect these Israelite babies And they were going to obey God At all costs Which is unbelievable Because maybe you know this This is during what they call 400 years of silence In the scriptures Where God had not done anything lately Seemingly God had not spoken God had not performed any miracles. His chosen people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, they seemingly were abandoned. They're going, God, where are you at? What are you doing in our lives? Why would you allow us to be in slavery under the oppression of the Egyptian people? Are you serious? And then into that, somehow these Hebrew midwives have the ability to trust God to go, we have not heard from you in a long time, but we believe you and we're going to trust you. And so into that, Moses' life is spared because of their extraordinary courage in the midst of a culture of all kinds of fear. And here's where the narrative picks up, and I'll try to kind of reveal this tension and this dynamic that I'm talking about, Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. And if you have your CC app, you can go to Media and then Sermon Resources to get all of this. Here's what it says, Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy is, who is born, you must throw into the Nile, where ultimately, generally, they're going to drown or be eaten by a crocodile. But let every girl live. And then Exodus 2, verse 1. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer... She got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. And then, verse 5 Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. So here's Moses, his sister's off looking to see what's going to happen to her, um, you know, baby brother. And Pharaoh's own daughter comes down, sees the baskets, and sends her female slave to go get it. And then verse 6, she opened it, saw the baby was crying, and felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? And then verse 8, yes, go. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. And so just just a little catch up. I mean, so they're, they're doing everything they can to save Moses. Moses isn't even known as Moses at the time. They take him down, put him in this basket. You probably know the story. Watch the movie. They send him off. Um, Moses' sister is off in the reeds, hoping he doesn't get eaten by a crocodile. I mean, this is real fear that he doesn't drown to death. And so as she's watching, I mean, what are the chances? Pharaoh's own daughter makes her way down to the riverbank and finds the baby and attempts to rescue the baby and says, hey, to Moses' sister, she doesn't know it's Moses' sister, can you find a Hebrew midwife and have her take care of him? And so verse number nine, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. What an amazing gig that is. Like, legitimately, if my one, a little over one-year-old son, Braxton, if I could go put him on the aliphia tomorrow and know this is the end of the story, I would do it in a second, right? <laughs> I mean, it's unble- like as I'm reading this, here, hey, here is your baby. I will pay you to watch him. Yes, please. So, <laughs> verse 9, so the woman took the baby and nursed him. In verse 10, when the child grew older... She took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Now, here's what I find interesting about this. Maybe you won't. That for the rest of his life, Pharaoh should have been the most fearless man in all of the Scripture. I mean, what more evidence do you need that God is with you? Like you are, I understand you're you're born under oppression, and I understand there's slavery, and I understand there's a lot of fear, and I understand the edict that Pharaoh levied. But come on, you were put in a basket. You were in, you were rescued by Pharaoh's own daughter. I mean, come on, that's winning the lottery five times over. You are given to your mom, even though she doesn't know it, and she nurses you into you know elementary age or, or into those first couple years, and then you are brought rather than being a slave into the palace of the. Pharaoh himself. Come on, Moses. You should be more fearless than anyone. But what we find in just a few moments with some events and incidences that start to happen in Moses' life, he becomes one of the most fearful people in all of the scripture. Because what is about to take place in his life is Something that creates what happens for a lot of us when circumstances get overwhelming. They overwhelmed his interpretation of everything that had happened at that point in his life. That Moses gets to a place where things are so uncertain and there's so much fear that he's carrying that it completely causes him to misinterpret everything that God had done up until that point. And rather than seeing through the lenses of faith, he's a man who lives in fear for several decades and totally misinterpreted. This is what God had been doing in his life, the same thing that happens to us, that regardless of what's going on, we can get to a place where our present circumstances begin to overwhelm and we misinterpret everything that God's done in such a way that it leads to fear that debilitates us in the present and for our future. Here's what I put in my notes, and I've said something similar before, but it's just important to remember for some of us, this is not all of us, but for some of us, it is not our circumstances that produce our current fears. It is our interpretation of our circumstances that produce our current fears. And Moses got to a place where he's so overwhelmed that he's able to look back on all of his life and go, God, I don't know if you are able. God, I don't know if you really are with me. God, I don't know if you really are good and yet we look back at the finished narrative and go, Moses, what are you seeing? Where are you at? Where's your head, man? How can you not see the fingerprints of God on all of this? Because he got into a situation where fear took over and the present circumstances began to override all that God had done and he began to misinterpret God's activity and God's work in his life. And so one day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And looking this way and that, making sure nobody's looking, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. How savage is that? Verse 13. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong... Why, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And this next part reminds me of my kids. The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptians? Let me tell you why that reminds me of my kids because that sounds kind of weird. But because if you ever had that circumstance? Because here's basically what the Egyptians are going. Hey, Moses, we're just doing what we saw you do. You ever had that with your kids, if you have kids? Like, I literally, this is going to make you think badly of me as a parent, but I'll say it anyway, that I I had this one experience where I just lost it for a second, and not lost it, lost it, but, you know, voice got raised, and I'm just super exasperated at my kids, and then the next day, my five-year-old Brooke gets into it with her three-year-old brother, Ryder, and she just loses it. I'm like, you know, you run into the room, Brooke, what are you doing? And literally, she's like, I'm just doing what daddy did yesterday, Don't you dare pin that on me! If, <laughs> if anything, that's your mom. I, I I'm not. Ta- I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm kidding. That's not. That's not her mom. But that, that's where. That's where Moses is at. And they're just like we. We're just doing what we saw you do. And when Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. And Moses had reason to fear, but we have to understand is what got Moses into this position is because of his fear in the first place. Because of his, when am I gonna be found out? When are are things going to be exposed? And it leads him to a place that he never thought he'd end up. And what does Moses do the moment he's gripped by fear? He runs. He runs and he goes to Midian, this far away place. And what you'll find in the narrative is he begins to just build a wall and he finds a new occupation and kids, and a wife, and a father-in-law who's banked a lot of money that ultimately he's going to inherit. And for several decades, Moses lives in Midian, and he knows that is not where God has him. He knows that is not what God wants for his life, but there is no way he is ever going to go back. There is no way he's ever going to experience that emotion again. There is no way he is ever going to feel those feelings ever, ever again. And so he goes to Midian, and he plays it safe, and he hides behind the wall that he can Instructed, and then God interrupts all of that. God does exactly what God wants to do for some of you. And I don't know what your thing is, but you have constructed some kind of wall from something that you've experienced in your past, and you've hid, and you've stiff-armed, and you've kept people at arm's length, and you've managed, and you've done whatever it is you do, and God wants to step in to go, okay, I know this is painful, I know you don't want to hear this, I know you don't want to experience this, I know that you vowed that you would never experience this again, but I want you to go back. Because if you're ever going to move forward, and you are ever going to break the grip of control of fear in your life, and side note, I'll get to this in a second, and for many of you, if you are ever going to allow God to begin to move you to a place where you understand your past and maybe what God was doing through it, you've got to go back. And so Exodus 3.1, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. This name seems out of place in the Bible. The priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. If you're investigating, don't get tripped up by the burning bush. Come back to that later. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see the strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, i.e., I have a track record. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen, I love this, the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I know you guys think that I have been asleep for the last 400 years. I haven't. I know because you haven't seen the activity that it's allowed you to move to a place where you think I'm inactive. I know because I haven't done any miraculous signs and wonders that somehow I've checked out, but I haven't. I see the cry of my people, and I am concerned about their suffering, so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So, Moses, I contact, Moses, go, go. As in, go back. No, 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 I'm not going to go back. It's why I left Midian. I've had a pretty good gig for the last couple of decades. Nobody bothers me there. I don't want to feel that ever again. I don't want to experience the emotion of that ever again. I don't want to be done that way ever again. I cannot go back. And Moses is like, you, God says to Moses, you have got To go back because whether you recognize it or not I am up to something. I am doing something There is a future and in fact my future involves you And you are never going to be able to step into what I want to do in your life as long as you are controlled By fear and here moses is what you're going to find out in a little bit is that everything that you've experienced that you would rewrite God has been Using to lead you to a place that he wants you and by the way moses It's bigger than you because this is going to have a global impact impact beyond what you can ever imagine and you will never experience it and you will never be released from the grip of fear until you do what you don't want to do you got to go back I'm sending you Moses to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt I know it's unlikely verse 11 But Moses said to God, and this is where the excuses start, Who who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Like, I've been there. I've done that. I don't want to go back. I don't want to experience that again. And so he starts with everything that he can remember. Verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what's his name. Then, Then what do I tell them? Exodus 4.1, Moses answered, and what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord did not appear to you? And then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? A staff, Moses replied, and the Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. <laughs> He's not ready. Verse 10. And then Moses said to the Lord, "This is his Colin Firth and the King's Speech kind of moment, if you've seen the movie. Partner servant lord I, i've been I haven't been eloquent, neither in the past, so obviously, this is some kind of memory that's not in the historical document, but something happened in Hebrew middle school. and Moses couldn't talk very well. Moses isn't eloquent, probably was made fun of, still remembers the memories, and he's going, God, you're about to send me to the most powerful man in the world to talk to him about releasing your people. Are you crazy? And do you remember what I did? And do you know how I talk or the, the lack of eloquence and how I talk? I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. And verse 13, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, but please send someone else. Just send someone. I'm not your guy. I don't know if the fumes from the burning bush have done something, in all due respect, but I am not the guy, and I can't go back there. You already saw what happened. You already know what took place. You already know all the ways that I am inadequate. God, there is no way. And God was unrelenting. And, And you probably know maybe the end of the story but I'll tell it to you figuratively he just throws up his hands eventually and Moses says all right I'll go I'll go not because I think it's going to work out not because I think it's going to do any good and not because I am not terrified because I am terrified I don't know what you're doing but I'll go You're God, and I'm not, and so I'll follow you. And what's interesting, and you find this as you look at the narrative, is that because Moses went back to where the fear started, he was able to move forward to break the control and the power of fear that ultimately led God to do something unprecedented in history. But he says to Moses, the starting place is not for you to pray to me. You've done that probably hundreds of times. It's not for you to confess, get all that. It's not for you to, I I don't know, go through speech therapy. It's for you to go back and to confront your past. And as you do, I'm going to begin to do something that will release the power and the grip of fear in such a way that it's going to affect your present and your future and what I want to do in and through you. And so here's the bottom line for most of us. We cannot move forward until we go back. And we will not move past the fear that is crippling us until we go back to where the fear began. And that's terrifying, isn't it? That's, I don't want to confront that anymore. That's, I already left that in the past. That's, I don't want to feel those emotions again. I, I don't want to remember. That's what I've been trying to not remember for the last decade. And God says, you got to go back. And so I, I just want to give you two things, because I want to give you something with handles on it, and then we'll lay, land the plane on this series. Is the first thing you have to do is identify your wall. Like, what is it? For some of you, some of those things that I unearth, you already know what it is. Here's the really uh, kind of terrifying thing, but it could be helpful if you did this. Just ask some people who are close to you. They already know. Right, just just ask them. You don't. You're not gonna do it. Most of you are not gonna do it. But just ask them. For about the first fifty seconds, they'll pretend like I don't know. I haven't given any thought, and then they'll just launch into no. Here's all of your walls. They like they already know. You're the only one that doesn't know. They they already know. So so what is it? Control. And if you, were to, if you were to dig down long enough, if you were to, to pray long enough, you don't even need to pray, you get out a, a notebook or your phone long enough, and you just invite the Holy Spirit to, God, help me to see what I don't see. I'm telling you, these will begin to come to the surface. Oh, yeah, I, I control because of this where I was out of control, and now it's led to fear in the present that consumes me, and it's impacting my kids. For others of you, it's, it's withdrawal. And there's some things that happened that hurt you because you put yourself out there, because you became vulnerable, because you risked and you felt like God didn't come through or they didn't come through or they abandoned you. And now you are living your life with everybody at arm's length because of an experience from your past. For some of you, it's, it's humor, sarcasm. It doesn't seem like a big deal. But man, it is your defense mechanism of I'm not going to feel that and you're not going to make me feel that. For some of you, it's critical and you're just a realist and that's really just your disguise for some things went down and because I don't feel good, you're not going to feel good either and you have built a wall. For some of you, it's, it's substance abuse. But my point is this, you owe it to you. And you owe it to your spouse, and you owe it to your kids, and you owe it to what God wants to do for your future, to identify what the wall is that you are hiding behind and where it links to your past, to where you can get to a place where your past can remind you, but it will not define you. Your past can remind you, but it will not control you. That you identify where the wall is so that God can begin to set you free. And how does he set you free? The second thing is just this. You have to go go back to settle the past. This is a whole message, this is a whole series, but for some of you, already know what it is. There are some things where you were wronged, you were hurt, something that was done to you, and it's not that it wasn't a big deal, it's not that they shouldn't pay, it's not that it didn't hurt, but you need to go back to forgive some people, to cancel a debt, and it's not saying they don't owe the debt, it's just saying, I'm not gonna make you pay, and it has nothing to do with you, and it has everything to do with me, because I am going to begin to break the power of fear in my life, And move forward for what God has for my future. And so I'm going to settle it. You may not settle it. You may still be an idiot. But I'm going to settle it. Right? For some of you, you need to write a letter. And you may never send it. But you need to unearth all of those things that you have tried to run from, that you try to suppress from your memory to go, no, I just want to acknowledge it. I just want to get it out into the open. And that person may not even live in your city anymore. They may not be alive. This is about you. God, I want to confront it. I want to stop running from it, and I want you to begin to heal me of it. For others of you, you need to go back to just call it what it was. There's an event that happened, and you just need to say, you know what? It was wrong. What was done was not right. What they did to me was unjust, and I'm going to stop hiding from that memory, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to confront it as painful as it is, and I'm just going to call it what it is. For others of you, it's to go back and It is to just surrender something where you think of a memory and it feels like God was not present. It feels like God had abandoned you. It feels like God had pulled out and you need to go back to go, I still don't understand it. I still can't connect the dots but God, I just want you to help me to trust you and I'm gonna believe that you were in that even though I didn't see you. And for others of you, you need to move back into whatever that is in your past and you need to receive grace. You need to go back to whatever that memory is of what you have done, and you need to move to that place to understand that in your pride you have resisted God's grace, because that's really what it is, and you need to move to a place of humility to say the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did there, it was enough, and it satisfied the payment for sin, it satisfied your debt, and it doesn't mean you didn't hurt somebody, it doesn't mean that you can pay it back, it doesn't mean you don't wish you could go back and rewind it, but what it does mean is that when christ came to pay and bear the punishment for all mankind that included you and there is no sin and no dysfunction that is outside the reach of his grace and mercy to say i love you i can free you i can give you a new future that is the purpose of the cross And you need to move back to confront that memory that you don't want to confront, and it may involve counseling, it may involve somebody else to walk it through, but for God to begin to speak and wash over your life that it is paid for, and that his grace is available to you. And then some of you need to go back and reconcile where it's possible. In a lot of cases, it's not, but whether that's a conversation, whether that's Uh, whatever it is, in most cases, we can't pay back what we have taken. But as far as it depends on you, you need to reconcile. But you need to go back, and you need to settle the past that has now moved into your present and is going to hinder your future. Step outside the wall, go back, settle the past, and invite God to begin to work in such a way that he can empower you, and he can break the power of fear in your life. And for some of you, begin to make sense of of your past in a way that you've never understood it wow. so would you be willing to identify your wall and then go back and settle it so that you can move forward in some cases to go I'm going to trust again I'm going to open myself up again I think God's calling me to do this and I'm going to take a risk again and step out in faith and I'm not going to allow my experiences in the past to continue to hinder my future I'd, I'd say it this way Don't let the fear from your past keep you from experiencing God in the future. I don't know if you know this about Moses' story, but Moses finally stepped out from behind the walls that he was hiding behind in Midian. And it was only when he stepped out that all of the events from the past that made no sense, that had no purpose to him, that had a whole lot of pain, that simply reminded him of failure, it was only when he was willing to step out from behind the wall and go back that God began to repurpose and redefine every hurt that he had experienced. Where Moses finally recognizes that God was with him me and working in me all the way through the whole thing. And here's what you need to know about your life, that we serve a God of redemption and restoration who wants to repurpose and redefine every single circumstance and event, even the events that were your fault, and use them for a better future to glorify his name. And it was only when Moses stepped out and went back that suddenly things began to become clear where he recognized, man, that whole time God was trying to lead me to a place where I would trust him, that I would depend on him. I don't think he created the circumstances, but he used the circumstances. So now I'm at a place where I'm ready. I'm no longer controlled by fear. And Moses didn't get it right. He wasn't perfect, but he was no longer controlled by fear. And his past finally made sense. And he recognized that all that he had experienced, God was leveraging to do something for his future. And he led a people out of Egypt into a new land that became a nation that ultimately birthed a Messiah that came to planet Earth. Earth, to save the world from their sins and it happened because Moses was able to step out and go back you have no idea what God wants to do through your life and you have no idea what God wants to do to repurpose and redefine even the things that you've been running from for your good and for his glory see in every single one of us and I've got to end but God can take any fear and turn it into faith For some of us, the thing in our past that we feared the most is the very thing that God began to redefine. And now it's the thing where God has used our lives in the greatest way. And it never would have happened if we wouldn't have stepped out and gone back. God can take any fear and turn it into faith. God can move anything in our lives around for his good and his glory. I put it this way in my notes. It's only when we respond to God's call in the present that he begins to redefine our past for a better future when we say, I am not going to be bound by this anymore. When you step out, when you go back, God can turn your past into potential for the future. So I just wanna end with this. Would you be willing to step out from behind that wall once you're able to identify it? And for some of you, it's not hard. And for some of you, it's just gonna take a really awkward conversation. Somebody will tell you. And then would you be willing to go back to confront what you haven't wanted to confront? So let me just ask you these questions. What are you afraid of that stems from your past? Where can't you go back? Because that's an indicator. What are you hiding behind? Where do you need to go back? And where do you need to get help? And would you be willing to step out behind, from behind whatever your wall is, and would you be willing to go back and confront your past? And the promise is not that you would avoid pain or that you would avoid uncertainty. Pain and uncertainty are unavoidable, but fear is optional. And your savior says to you as unrealistic as it seems in this moment, fear not. Be strong and courageous. You have not, if you've placed your faith in me, you have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. And so I want you to live free. And I want you to be willing to have the courage to move out and to go back. And it's only in that place where I can begin to do something in you to break you from the power of fear. And for a lot of you, it is the starting point and the catalyst for me to begin to make sense of your past. But you got to step out. So you know what your fear is? Do you know what's behind that fear? And are you willing to go back to find out where that fear originated? Would you guys bow your head and close your eyes all over the house? And as much as possible, can we just kind of stay where we're at to give the Holy Spirit room to do his thing in this place with minimal distraction? That would be amazing. And I have no idea Where you're at, but here's what I know this is the human experience. This is the byproduct of sin entering the world and infesting all of humanity. And there's going to be a day where every fear is going to be eradicated forever. And there will be nothing but freedom in this place of universal wholeness and universal flourishing where we are face to face with our Savior. But until then, God has done something in history that communicates to us there is freedom that is possible, that we can live in victory, that we can experience life to the full, as John wrote about. And part of that incredible hope is that God can even go back and repurpose and redefine our past for a better future, for our good and his glory. And so wherever you sit right now with heads bowed and eyes closed as a follower of Jesus, I just want to talk to you for a second. There's some fears that are easy to identify. Some of you have begun to track with what we talked about last week to get below those fears. And now today, you need to begin to have the courage to go back. where that fear started, where that fear stems from, if you're ever going to move forward. And so right where you are, I don't know what it is, it could literally be a hundred different things, but you would just say, right now in this moment, I know there's some things from my past that I need to go back to, I don't want to, I'm terrified, I don't want to experience those emotions again, but I'm asking God to give me wisdom and courage to do it so that I can live free. If that's you, would just lift up your hand to go, there is something in my past I need to confront, and I'm asking God to give me wisdom and then set me free yeah yeah get it up high if that's you yeah 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 just that declaration in your own heart and mind it's amazing how that has the power to be a catalyst for what we need to do when we leave here and then I just want to give this second invitation to those of you who've never placed your faith and your trust in Christ and here's what I would tell you is that the beginning place to ever really experience freedom, the beginning place to ever really getting peace as it relates to your past is only found through Jesus Christ. And so today, this is the moment where God is working in your heart in some kind of mysterious way. It's even hard to describe, but this is the moment where you'd say, I need to place my faith and trust in what Jesus has done for me. And the scripture is so clear and it's so simple that we stumble over it. But here is the incredible news and here's how you begin a relationship with Jesus in such a way that it begins to reorder your past and give you a new future and move you to a place to be a child of God with a new DNA and new life. The scripture just says this, that you come to a place to believe that Jesus Christ came to earth and he lived a perfect life that you and I could never live on our own. And in fact, the thing that keeps us from relationship with the God of the universe is us. It's our sin. And we can never do enough to reach the standard of perfection because that's the standard. Matthew 5, 47, I want you to be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. And the point behind that verse is to reveal to every single one of us, we don't have a shot without a rescuer without someone to provide us salvation without somebody to do something for us that we can't do on our own so you would just say Jesus I believe that you came and lived the perfect life that I could not live and that you died on the cross for all of my sin past present and even future and three days later I believe that you walked out of the grave alive and in this moment and this is a declaration in your own heart and mind, I believe that I can't earn my way to you, but I'm asking to just place my trust in what you have done for me, that you would forgive me and that you would save me. And so right where you are, I'm gonna give you one opportunity here. This is not a prayer that saves you. It is simply your transfer of trust from you to what Jesus has done for you. So all over the room, this is you. If this is you online, this is your moment right now. Jesus, you can pray this in your own heart and mind. It's not the prayer. It's your declaration of trust. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you came to earth and lived the perfect life that I could not live. And you paid for all of my sin, past, present, and even future. And three days later, you rose again in history. And so right now, I'm not trusting me any longer, I'm trusting what you have done for me. Would you forgive me and would you save me? And the scripture says, the moment you make that declaration of trust, you become a child of God, that he will never ever abandon you, that there will never be condemnation again, and that he can even begin the hard work of repurposing your past for a better future with heads bowed and eyes closed. If that was you today, where you placed your faith and trust in Christ like we had in the first service today, would you just lift up your hand to go, that that's me. Lift up your hand nice and high to go, that that's me today. You just lift it up there for a second. If today was the day for the first time you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. There's an usher that wants to come around as heads are bowed and just place a card in your hand. And you can do whatever you want with that card, but as you leave, if, if you would take that out the connect point, We'd love to just give you a Bible with a little bit of information about this new journey. And then we'd love to just give you some information about your next step. And the scripture says that when you place your faith and trust in Christ, the next step is commanded by Jesus is to go public through baptism. And there's so much misinformation, but that doesn't make you more spiritual. It doesn't save you. It is just that first step of obedience to go, Jesus, I am not perfect. That's why I needed a savior, but I am standing with you. I'm going public with the fact that you have saved me and you have rescued me. And we'd love to give you information about that. But you can choose to take the next step that you wanna take. But one more time, if that's you today, would you just lift up your hand if you haven't gotten a card as we close this morning and say, today I place my faith and trust in Christ. Jesus, I thank you that today in all of our services as we've prayed, you are doing exactly what you have done for generations, exactly why you birthed this movement called the church. And as much as we sometimes get discouraged by how broken it is because we're a part of it, it is still doing its thing to reveal and magnify the glory and the grace of Jesus and to save and rescue people and change their eternities forever. And so we want to celebrate what you have done today. I want to celebrate in advance, even in people's lives who have followed you for a long time, how you will begin to release them and give them freedom. And Lord, we cannot say thank you enough because we know it's outside of ourselves. The work that you have done to change hearts and change lives is only available through you and your power. In Jesus' name, amen.